You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Check out our merch store, onthefinside.threadless.com. The NFL Draft Combine wrapped up this past week, and free agency is just around the corner. So we're going to squeeze as much draft talk as we can in here before, in the upcoming weeks, we talk about free agents that are available and signed by the Miami Dolphins. There could be fewer this year, but we'll see what happens. But we'll focus on this for now. So we're going to cover two things here today. Number one, who stood out at the NFL Draft Combine and what that means for the Miami Dolphins. Number two, I'm going to unleash my top 13 board for the Dolphins at pick number 13. It's pretty self-explanatory as to why. The Dolphins are guaranteed to get at least one of these players. And, of course, you've got the Dan Marino uh, link there, too. So, Paul, I'm just curious first – what is your overall impression of the NFL draft combine as an event? Some people say, I really don't care. Some people are there with their own stopwatches on TV. What's your take on it? I mean, honestly, the combine's a great little get together place to put a little show on for, for folks. I mean, there's a lot of folks that move their draft stock up and down at the combine, but in reality, whatever they get at the combine, the, the, the scouts can get it at a pro day. The combine has turned into an event for the fans in, in reality. I mean, yeah, they get some measurables. You can see if a guy's consistent with what he does between his, the combine and his pro day. But in reality, it's a bunch of workout stuff that doesn't always dictate whether a guy's a football player. It dictates whether he's an athlete for the most part, other than a few obvious things, like watching a quarterback throw. You get somewhat of an idea. But you've already got a lot of tape on these guys. It's it's really just leveling the playing field and seeing how they do in shorts. Yeah, well said. I tend to look at this as an event where something's really got to jump off the page, and that gives you an excuse. And you hear every network talk about this. It's an excuse to go back and look at the film in a little bit of a different way. And I think that's very true. I mean, a player we'll get to in just a bit, Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, a defensive end. Runs a four four one. I mean, that jumps off the page. And when I look back at his film, like, wow, this guy's fast. And, you, you know, you kind of look at that in a little bit of a different way. So I, I was able to do that, and we'll piggyback on that here as we go along. We'll spend most of the time on defense because that's where a lot of the prospects are. That's where a lot of them shined. And it's what a lot of picks would make sense for for the Dolphins here. First, we'll, we'll start with the quarterback spot at the top. 
Kyler Murray did show up at 5'10", 207 pounds. He did pass that. You have to be just this tall to ride the ride, and he certainly did. Five, uh, 5'10", and some change, 207 pounds. And the word out of the combine, and people were saying this with certainty, that he is going to go number one to the Arizona Cardinals. I start looking at that and thinking maybe there's a smoke screen, but I don't see what there is to smoke screen because very simply the Cardinals have the number one pick and all your broadcasting is how much it would take to move up with you for a quarterback that's five foot 10. So I, I don't really think that's the case. Paul, are you buying that right now? No, it's, I mean, if they weren't shopping heir apparent Josh Rosen, good or bad last year, Maybe. If they weren't shopping Rosen, I'd buy it a little bit more. But they're shopping Rosen. They're all enamored with with Murray, and there's no talk of them shopping the number one overall pick. I mean, those are three things. If they were talking Murray like crazy, but also talking how much they love Josh Rosen, and they were shopping the pick, yeah, I totally believe it was a smokescreen. But right now, no. They're they're not smokescreening anything. They're – absolutely enamored with with Kyler Murray and you look at what Charlie Casterly had to say about how Kyler Murray who didn't really do much at the combine other than show up and stand on a a little measuring stick when he met with teams it's Charlie Casterly got a lot of reports that Kyler Murray had one of the worst draft weeks or worst combine weeks for a draft prospect ever and I can believe that having watched his interview with Dan Patrick uh, from the Super Bowl uh, having sat back and thought about, you know, what, what does Charlie Casterly have to gain by saying this? And it really feels like Cliff Kingsbury has fallen so in love with, with that girl at the bar that he doesn't care what comes out of her mouth when he walks up and talks to her. He's taken her. Um, and that's what it feels like with Kyler Murray at this point. There is some stuff, and everybody who listens to the show knows I've been pro Kyler Murray here for the Dolphins. It sounds like there's a lot of stuff to worry about. I mean, you, you look at when he got asked about football or baseball, and uh, I, I like sports. You know, it's it's. I don't know. There's something with yeah. this kid. Uh, yeah, and I I can see that. Part of me thinks too that it's so much about these got you statements when with these 20 and 21 year old kids that unless there's a massive red flag then I, I tend to look the other way. And everything that they say is going to be zoomed in on and magnified like crazy. And the reality is, is Cliff Kingsbury, he doesn't need to interview Kyler Murray. He's known him for five or six years. He, he knew him when he was halfway through college or high school, excuse me. So it, it does look like that's the scenario right now, which brings us to another thing while we're on it, Paul. Josh Rosen, if he's available, I mean, some of the quarterbacks are starting to fall. I mean, Case Keenum's getting traded to the Redskins. Joe Flacco got traded to the Broncos. The word is that the Jaguars are going to sign Nick Foles. And a lot of these teams that need quarterbacks don't necessarily need them. And if they draft Kyler Murray, they're going to have to trade Josh Rosen, in, in my opinion. If you're the Dolphins, what would you get? What would you give up for Josh Rosen? Would it be the 13th pick? Would it be a second rounder, swap of picks, or nothing at all? For me, it would have to be a conditional fourth and fifth. Um, you know, if he comes out and balls out, you know, I've got no problem with that pick sliding higher for next year. But uh, outside of that, not a lot. I mean, 
does he have upside? Yes. There's a reason he went in the top half of the first round last year. It, it's there's a lot of quarterbacks that also aren't so good their first year of football and, and suddenly the light comes on in year two or three. So, I mean, is there the possibility there? There absolutely is. But one other thing I want to just say too, while we're on Kyler Murray is what we know of Chad O'Shea, what we know of Brian Flores, if Kyler Murray walked in the room and was basically just drawing stick figures on the board and fish and all kinds of stuff like that, which it almost sounds like from the way Charlie Casserly talked. I mean, obviously I'm exaggerating. That is not going to be a Chad O'Shea, Brian Flores type of guy. They're not going to want a guy that's a dumb, dumb when it comes to the X's and O's. Yeah. It's a simple fact. And and I want to be sure we're talking about the same thing. So Josh, if Josh Rosen is available by trade, you would only trade a fourth or a fifth round pick for him. Conditional one from next year. Interesting. I'm I'm going to chalk that up as you're not interested uh, in Josh Rosen then, because obviously he's not going to get traded for something that's that low. So me personally, anything less than that Dolphins first round pick, I would be interested in looking at. I mean, I don't think – look, Josh Rosen, I thought enough of last year to think he should have been a top-10 pick, and I, I don't think he proved or disproved a lot last year. I mean, he, oh, let me take that back. He did not play well last year. He also had a – I hate to point at the offensive line and say – but they, they were literally pulling sixth-round rookies that were cut from other teams off the street and putting them them in front there. And – I, I don't think there's a lot to judge from last year. I would absolutely give up a second round pick for him. And if you're talking about the Dolphins swap in the 13th pick and the 33rd, which is basically a second round pick, I would give that some consideration too, because here's why the Cardinals have already, they have already uh, done that. Our gay, our pay Josh Rose and his money up front. The Dolphins would basically have him on a three or $6 million contract. And I, I think that's enough upside compared to what the Dolphins may be getting out there. So we'll see in the upcoming weeks because I don't think there are a lot of teams that are in position to trade for a Josh Rosen now, and the Dolphins might be, uh, especially and, if that price starts to lower. And, and and that's exactly where I'm coming from on the conditional pick. Maybe I'm a little bit low on it, but there's not a lot of seats left at the dance. Uh, there's not a lot of those seats that teams are going to be willing to chase Josh Rosen and the Cardinals are going to be in a position where they have to eject Josh Rosen. So, I mean, it, it's basically, you know, yeah, it might be nicer than, than what you're paying for. But if you're, the, if you're one of the only buyers out there, you might still be able to win that, that little bit bidding battle with not a hell of a lot. And I don't like giving up a hell of a lot when they don't have to. Yeah, I, I would hope it's a third-round pick. If That would be a steal for me. I would strongly even consider a second-round pick. I just think you've got to take as many hacks as you can at the quarterback position. And even though Rosenstock is not what it was last year, given the Cardinals might be trading him, I still think it's pretty high, especially higher than the 48th pick in the draft. But if they do keep the 48th pick in the draft, a couple of players, as we whiz through this, that did impress are were at the center position. Garrett Bradbury is somebody we continue to go back to and talk about. He runs a 4.940. Even though he has short arms, it really doesn't matter for a center. And when you look at him on film, very, very technically sound. I think he will be every bit the player that previous first-round picks like Alex Mack and 
you know, you can even throw Mike Pouncey in there and Nick Mangold, these types of guys. I think you plug him in and he's going to be a 10-year starter for you. Also, Eric McCoy from Texas A&M surprises everybody with his athleticism, runs a 4.89 as well. Also keep an eye on, on Elgin Jenkins from Mississippi State. But it, it seems like we keep going back to that interior of the offensive line. And again, hopefully they keep Juwan James in free agency too. Well, and the other thing I'll throw out there too is, is a guy that I mentioned before, Dalton Risner. Uh, the guy's an absolute stud, and he can play both tackle and center. And a lot of folks have started whispering about the fact that he may end up being a better center at the pro level than he will be a tackle. And you look at the fact that they may or may not retain Juwan James, I don't think that should deter them at all from chasing a Dalton Risner because he could be a guy that comes in, plugs that center hole, and suddenly you've got a pretty damn good offensive line and you can even draft a guard for the future in one of the later rounds to be the heir apparent to Josh Sitton if Miami retains him. So a lot of good options here along the offensive line, and I know you want to talk about defense, and the defensive line is definitely a place they're going to have to play some plug-and-play games based on what we're hearing. Yeah, I like what you said about Risner. I mean, this is someone who can play all five line spots, and if they do cut Josh Sitton and Jesse Davis is a little bit squeaky at right guard, even if they do keep James, uh, you know, you've got three places on the interior he could possibly be. Yeah, moving on to the defensive line, a lot of guys, this is where people moved up and down. I mean, Nick Bosa ran a 487. That doesn't matter. We know what type of player he is. His brother Joey ran a 486. He's still going to go top three. Dolphins have no shot at him. But along the defensive line, um, two guys really stood out a defensive end, Montez Sweat from Mississippi State and defensive end Brian Burns from Florida State. Montez Sweat shocks everyone with the highest 40 time of every any defensive lineman in modern history, 6'6", 260 pounds. There's a lot of top 10 talk about him right now. Some mock drafts even have him even in the top five. But just another name for the Dolphins to consider as this board starts starts to shape up like it did last year when they picked 11th. And it's starting to look like a mathematical impossibility that a player like Brian Burns or Montez Sweat is not going to be there. Uh, Brian Burns runs a 4-5-3. What I like about Burns, too, is that he shows that ability to drop back and play some 3-4 outside linebacker, which you can assume is going to be a very big priority for Brian Flores and the rest of the defensive staff. Yeah, and for me, I'd actually tend to lean Burns over Sweat at this point. I love his speed. But Robert Quinn is a guy that, that scared me off a little bit from some of these guys that turn into a one-trick pony with their speed. And that does worry me with a guy like Sweat where he might start relying on it. And as soon as offensive tackles figure that out, teams are going to have to figure out if they can adjust Sweat's game a little bit to get back to being a guy that can throw a few extra moves in there and not just try to go around the outside. Because if you try to go around the outside, any left tackle or right tackle worth their salt is going to go, okay, I'm going to push you out, and you're going to end up going past the quarterback more often than not. So, And you're going to be an absolute liability in the run game. So it's almost a detriment to me that he is so fast because speed is an easy thing to beat, and if that's a huge facet of his game, it could get interesting there, whereas Burns' flexibility is something that I think could really lend itself well to Miami Systems. Yeah, I, I watched an unhealthy amount of tape on Montez Sweat and Brian Burns afterward. One thing I noticed between those two is really what you touched on. Montez Sweat, 6'6", 260, 4'4", 1 speed. That's rare, but 
I really only see an outside pass rush move out of him. He's pretty good against the run, too, but he can get run at. I don't see any inside moves where I do see that a lot out of Brian Burns. Then again, Sweat is just a hair faster. So if he can get around that edge consistently, you're going to have a star. I do see a little bit of Chandler Jones in him. But as far as the defensive line, with those two guys moving up, Ja'Kai Polite from Florida really – killed himself at this combine. I mean, for so many reasons, he runs a four, eight, four, which, you know, it's not is slow, but you know, I expected him to be in, you know, four, six, five, something like that. His arms are much shorter. I think there were 32 and a half. And, but the most important thing is during the interviews, you, if you think Kyler Murray's were bad, polite supposedly were much worse. And then he talked to the media afterward and basically said, eh, they're picking on me. I mean, <laughs> Uh, what a little bitch. I mean, criminy. So I, I don't, I don't, he is, I mean, I had him really up there with Burns and Montez Sweat before this here, maybe a shade below. I really have him lower now. I mean, I think this guy falls all the way to the second round after all is said and done defensive tackle moving along Ed Oliver, uh, Got a lot of points by showing up at 6'2", 287. Word is that he played around 270 last year at Houston, which is not a very sustainable weight in the NFL. Rashawn Gary is looking like that DND tackle. Runs a 4'5", He didn't have a lot of production in college, or at least not the way you would think at Michigan. But, man, he's a toolsy kid moving forward. Uh, linebacker. Um, right when I'm about to take him off the board, because, you know, to be honest, in this type of scheme, you're not going to play three linebackers very often. You may not even pay, play two very often. Devin White then runs a 4-4-2. And also the linebacker from uh, Michigan, Devin Bush, runs a 4-4-4. So now you're talking about two guys that very much could be in the middle of that defense covering tight ends and running backs all over the field. I think Devin White would be a little bit more of a consideration, which I'm looking forward to uh, talking about in just a bit. But what about you, Paul? This uh, Right now at 13, when you look at it, which way are you leaning as far as, as where the Dolphins might go? DN, D-tackle, linebacker? Do you have a feel right now? I mean, if, if, if Haskins is mysteriously available at 13, I think Miami jumps all over that. But outside of that, I, I think – based around the fact that they're shopping Robert Quinn and expected to cut him based around the fact that Cam Wake may be allowed to run around out there in free agency based on the fact that they already cut Andre Branch, um, based on the fact that, you know, old mother Hubbard just has Charles Harris in the cupboard and Flores is a defensive minded coach. I, I would be absolutely shocked if we don't see a defensive end off the board in the first two picks. Um, possibly even that top one. I mean, it's, it is a absolute need for this team at this point to go D end. I mean, whether it's a hybrid guy or not. Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) And also too, if if you're going to play a lot of three, four, you could have gotcha and Vincent Taylor at the D end spots in that formation. And I think it'd be a lot easier to find a nose tackle, whether it's bringing back a Sylvester Williams or, looking at someone like Steve McClendon from the Jets or Malcolm Brown from the Patriots to fill that need. And then you can uh, get that big lengthy pass rusher in the first round. So I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest with you there too. I mean, not, not to jump in on you, but I mean, if you take an Ed Oliver 
you could legitimately put him in with his size and, and his tools at defensive end and, and have Vincent Taylor be kind of an agile nose. I mean, he's not your prototypical nose, but he showed a very, very disruptive ability to beat double teams last year and really do a lot of things. So I'm excited to have Vincent Taylor back and you kick him inside, put Godshaw and uh, Ed Oliver at the DN spot. You got a pretty intriguing three, four right there. My fear on Ed Oliver is that if you, if you swapped he and Christian Wilkins from Clemson in their roles, you would be talking about Ed Oliver as a top five pick and you'd be talking about Christian Wilkins not before the middle of the second round. And that's nothing against Wilkins. He played, started, you know, 45 games at Clemson, played in 59, played at a high level, tested out pretty well, just not as well athletically as the other guys. But that's more by default. But Ed Oliver, 6'2", 287, and there was talk before he couldn't work out due to to an injury at Houston this past year. Teams were looking at him at linebacker, too. So there's a lot of versatility. That would be an exciting pick. We'll get to that in just a bit. I also think the Dolphins need to look at defensive back as well. I was very disappointed that DeAndre Baker and Byron Murphy didn't work out a little bit better. I was hoping to see a little more athleticism because I do like the film I watched on both, especially Baker as a technical player. But you got to be wary of players that are 5'11", 190, and run in the mid four fives. There's just not a lot of elite cornerbacks in the NFL with that size makeup. But still, he's got his pro day, and I do think there's a little something different with him technically. Greedy Williams is somebody you will not see on my top 13 board. I did not like what I saw from him on film, even though he worked out very well. He was 6'2", 185, ran a 4'37", but still looks lanky and awkward in these positional drills. I'm not a huge fan. Finally, at safety, Juan Thornhill, a player from Virginia, is moving on up. Could be a, I'd say, firmly in the second round now. Could be a late first when it's all said and done. But, you know, this is someone who has 10 interceptions for Virginia the last two years. And in addition to that, he runs a 4-4-2, 21 bench press reps, looks great in the drills, very productive. It's starting to look, Paul, like six or seven safeties are going to be taken in the first couple of rounds of the draft here. And I don't think one of them is Deontay Thompson right now. So here's my question to you on that. If the Dolphins do find that value at safety in the second round, should they keep Minka? Should they pass on that safety or should they take him and keep Minka at that boundary corner spot? I think as it stands right now, unless they get a quarterback of their dreams falling to him, Miami needs to, go at least one D-line pick in those first two picks and probably an O-line pick. Um, that's where I think the value is. The, uh, unless Miami cuts Kenny Stills and one or two other receivers, uh, I think those are the two positions that they've got to shore up the most. I'm not worried about safety. Uh, I'd like to see them take a corner, but I think they may be able to get a steal late on that. But Miami needs – to retool the trenches, especially with what's going on at defensive end. Yeah, they, and speaking of that, there are a lot of big cornerbacks in this draft worth taking a look at. Jamel Dean from Auburn, 6'1", 206, ran a 4'3 flat, very raw, but, you know, does have that size makeup. And, you know, th- that's an advantage of having Flores is that you can get these moldable pieces of clay who are just big and run well. I mean, the, the Patriots have done that four years at that cornerback spot. So 
you know, it's it'll be interesting to see where they go. I think third, fourth round at cornerback could be a sweet spot. Isaiah Johnson from Houston is another name. Lonnie Johnson from Kentucky, too. So we'll take a deep dive into these prospects after free agency hits. So before that happens, I'm going to unleash here my top 13 board for the NFL draft. We're just going to go right down the line here. Number one for me is Kyler Murray, quarterback from Oklahoma. The reason being that nobody can re-energize a a Dolphins fan base like a Murray could, but I do see him going with the number one overall pick. Key note on him is even though he's 5'10", only had five batted passes down and nearly 400 attempts at Oklahoma last year. So, you know, and he's also a player, too, that I believe can come in the NFL. And you're going to know about him in the first two years. You're not going to be – he's not going to be a toolsy projection guy like a Ryan Tannehill was. Even Either he's great quickly or he fades away quickly. Number two is a player that the Dolphins have no chance at, Nick Bosa. He should go in the first – Two picks of this draft, still a consideration at number one for Arizona if they don't take Murray. It doesn't matter with this 4-8-4-40 time. We know what this kid can do. A very violent hand motion, just like his brother Joey. He's got the bloodlines, too. His dad was a former Miami Dolphins 1987 first-round pick, career derailed by injuries. Number three, Josh Allen from Kentucky. Really incredible stats this past year. 17 sacks and 21 and a half tackles for loss. And this past week, he runs a 467 at 6 foot 5, 262 pounds. I hate to say it, but I think he's going to be joining Jamal Adams on that New York Jets defense. If not, I can't see the Raiders and Mike Mayock and John Gruden passing on him at 4. Number 5 is Dwayne Haskins, and even though I'm not the biggest Dwayne Haskins fan, he's not the best athlete The reality is this guy threw for 50 touchdowns last year at Ohio State, and his his competitive nature is out of this world. He anticipates very well. His touch is very good. The ball flies out of his hands. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a good comparison that I've heard for him. Um, Not the greatest athlete, but that may not matter if he can throw with that anticipation. But it's important after these top five, Paul, for me, to draw a line in the sand because if any of these five get there, I don't expect them to, but if they do, I think you got to stay pat at number 13. I wouldn't even be against trading up a little bit for them. And one that I forgot actually at number four is Quinn and Williams, uh, who also did a great job in the combine six, three, three Oh three ran a sub four, nine had 19 and a half tackles for loss against the best of the best competition at Alabama last year should be a star. So my top five, Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Quinnen Williams, Dwayne Haskins. And then I'm going to draw a line in the sand because the rest of this list, Paul, even if they fall to 13, I might be open to trading down if the right offer comes along. Yeah, no, I, I you know me. I've never met a trade down I didn't like uh, unless there's an absolute stud available like when Larry Tunsil started falling a couple years ago. But for me, it's, I mean – if if there is some absolute stud that Mike Mayock is absolutely in love with, I'm eyeballing uh, the Raiders' phone all throughout that first round, watching who falls, because they've got a loaded amount of picks now, and you may be able to make a move that allows you to shore up, you know, your offensive line, shore up your defensive line, making an impact set of, of picks uh, in the first two rounds, 
and still have your second rounder available in addition. So I, I, I'm keeping an eye on the Oakland Raiders, who are obviously prone to make the big splashy move at this point already under John Gruden. Well said. Uh, moving on with my list here, number six is a guy we've already talked about, Ed Oliver from Houston. Weighs in at 6'3", or 6'2", 287 pounds. I anticipate he would have run in the four sixes. And even though he's obviously not the biggest guy, he played a big man's position last year. Played nose tackle for Houston, lined, lined up at center, or right above the center when, uh, you know, he probably shouldn't have. He had an injury-plagued year last season where he only had three sacks. But over the course of three years, and really – almost two and a half years, if you consider he was injured last year, 53 tackles for loss. He was amazing at cutting into the backfield. And I think if you line him up wider and rotate him on that defensive line, that's going to get me excited uh, for Brian Forrest. I think this could be a real impact maker at the next level. Number seven is Brian Burns, who we've talked about too. Reminds me a lot of a, a Jason Pierre-Paul type. Has, is that tall, bendy, angular type of player. He's, he's 6'5", 250 pounds. He surprised a lot of people by showing up at that weight. I hate when people throw around the name Jason Taylor, but when you look at how agilely he moves for his size and how well he protects his body, both against the run and in using his hands against the pass, I, you start to see a little bit of that. A I, I, few people that I've talked to that, our Florida State fans have said that he does disappear at times for long stretches, but I've heard that criticism with edge rushers before. Montez Sweat with, is going to be next on this list. I'd say a pretty distant length behind Brian Burns on this because Sweat does have that physical makeup, that outside pass rush, and I think he can give some looks as a 3-4 outside linebacker too. But when you've got that speed, it's kind of hard to prepare against a player if you're an NFL tackle that you don't see very often with that speed. So I think he can make a lot of impact plays. And he's a lot better against the run than given credit for. He just looks a little bit lanky and siloed and awkward out there at times. But, man, he uses those long arms and that speed combination very, very well. And he probably will at the next level too. Number eight is or excuse me, number nine on my list here is going to be Rashawn Gary. He uh, tests unbelievably there at the combine. He, you know, it's, it's hard to compare him to somebody. My best shot is Ezekiel Ansah, maybe not quite as big, but definitely faster too. I see him as a deep guy that can be moved around like an Ed Oliver, but I don't see him making the impact that an Oliver would make on this defense. Didn't always play up to that physical potential at Michigan, but the tools are definitely there. I mean, only eight sacks over the last two years and only 17 tackles for loss over the last two years. He did face a lot of double teams, though. Number 10 is going to be Devin White from LSU. Um, you know, I didn't want to put a linebacker in here, but I felt like I had no choice if he were available there at 13 as a best player available. Running a 4-4-2, 6-foot, 236 pounds, plays bigger, looks bigger, kind of like Jamal Adams. Um, in terms of the leadership that he can bring to a defense. He's a very emotional player, can set the tone. I see a, lot, a little bit of Patrick Willis in him, too, and that 4-4 speed that Patrick Willis also ran a decade ago goes a long way. Number 11 here is going to be Jonah Williams. This is, would be another best player available type pick for me. 
Uh, I would imagine him kicking inside to guard if he were to be a Dolphin. But if you put Jonah Williams at left guard, Laramie Tunzel at left tackle, you can have some fun over there for the next 10 years. I, I think this is one of the safer picks in the draft. can play guard. And also, if something were to happen, I'm just picturing they have Juwan James back. If they have James and Tunzel back, and if something happens to one of those two, you can easily kick him out to the tackle spot. Finally, the last two, DeAndre Baker, even though he disappointed me a lot, I really liked him coming in. Very technically sound. I think he can get up in the faces of these players. I've always, from the beginning, called him a Patriots cornerback because of that physicality and because of that mental acumen as well. Number 13, a little bit of a surprise, but I'm going to throw him in there. Oklahoma guard Cody Ford. He's he played left or excuse me right tackle for them this past year. Six four three thirty. A lot of people say that Jonah Williams could be Brandon Scherf. I think this guy is more likely to be that type of guy at right guard. Very big, very strong, hard to move. I think you put him in there at that right guard spot to take over for Jesse Davis. Then you could have a four or five time Pro Bowler here over the next decade. So, Paul, I ran through a lot, and I'm sure this board's going to change many, many times here over the next several weeks as we head up into the NFL draft. Anything else you want to add here tonight? No, I mean, one guy I'm going to be watching in the middle rounds, and I need to look at a little bit more tape on him, but Gardner Minshew uh, really knocked it out of the park of the combine, the quarterback. And I, I, I will admit I only glanced at him because Brady Quinn pointed him out, which – sounds a little goofy but at the same time when when he throws a comparison like baker mayfield out there in regards to the guy you stand up and take a little bit of notice and kind of intrigued at that i mean it could be a scenario where miami takes a little swing at him in the in the mid rounds and, and brings him in to compete and hey if he turns into baker mayfield and you get him for a mid-round pick i'm all for it if he's even three quarters of baker mayfield and you're able to solidify your trenches in the first couple rounds uh, i'm i'm definitely gung-ho for that It'll be fascinating to see how these quarterbacks separate each other because after the top four, Haskins, Murray, Locke, Jones, and I would argue Daniel Jones, uh, then five through ten, you've got very little separating. You know, Will Greer from West Virginia, Ryan Finley from NC State, Jared Stidham from Auburn, Gardner Minshew from Washington State, and also two sleepers, Easton Stick from North Dakota State and Tyree Jackson from Buffalo, who – if you haven't seen this guy, you're in for a treat. Six seven, two fifty, massive arm, and ran a four five nine. So he's somebody to keep an eye on. Kind of looks like a mini Cam Newton. So yeah, there's a lot of things. I am already pumped for draft season, as well as I am for free agency. We're going to be there to cover all of it as we continue to roll along here. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and on Spotify. Check out our merch store on thefinside.threadless.com. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Solo D, take us off. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the fin side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. 
clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.